Hello, everybody, especially to the children and grandchildren. This is time for the weekly Parsha, and the Parsha this week is Noah. Just a, 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 by the way, I could go on for a very, very long time with Noah, most fascinating character. But let's start with his name. His name is Noah, which means relaxed. And I guess, although he was a tzaddik, you can't really achieve much if you're too relaxed. And perhaps that was his problem. Instead of fighting to save the world, which he was certainly given the opportunity to do, and Avraham did after him, he just quietly went about building the ark for himself and his family and so on. So I think being too relaxed is no good. As Rabbi A.H. Lappin, I love Shalom, once said, contentment is for cows, not for people. I think we understand joy and menucha are, are quite different. Menucha has got the name Noach in it, but it's also got the word hey after it. And mem in front, both very powerful letters. Hey especially is God's name. Mem is from Mayim and so on. So it's wholeness, completeness, nutrition. It's a different kind of Noach from the passive do nothing, protect yourself type of Noach that the character was. Noach represents perhaps the best example of the ability of a human being to descend from a, cre- a place of great spiritual height into the depths of the depths. Noah starts off his life as a tzaddik, tamim, a perfect tzaddik. Matzasein ba'enei Hashem. He found favor in God's eyes. And by the way, Noah and Chain are the same letters reversed. So Noah had in his very name the essence of Chain, which is to find favor or to be particularly admired and adored. And by the end of his life, he has descend to be, descended to be an Ish Adama, a man of the earth, linked very much to the original creation of man in the Garden of Eden from Adama, which became Adam. And so you see that descent of Noach from a, the greatest heights to the lowest depths. Contrasted sharply with Avraham, who came right after him, and Moshe, who comes somewhat after him. First of all, contrasting Noach with Avraham, we see that while Noach did absolutely nothing to convince the people around him to mend their ways, Avraham, you know, basically pleaded with God when it came time to destroy Sodom. Avraham did not simply stand there and, and ignore God's, you know, a comment that he was about to destroy a city. And Avraham begged him, pleaded with him, negotiated with him to save the city if he could find even a few tzaddikim. Noach, on the, hand did, on the other hand, did absolutely nothing when Hashem told him he was going to destroy the world. Not a city, the world. And he did absolutely nothing about it. So we see over there, there's a big difference. Avraham walked before God, whereas Noach walked with God. And while it's very nice to think of the holiness of walking with Hashem, but Avraham, by walking ahead of God, first of all, was anticipatory, was proactive, but secondly, when you stand, when you're walking ahead of someone, you have place on each side of you for others. When you're walking with someone, you're preoccupied with their presence. And so Abraham was a very different kind of Jew. He walked ahead of God and had sides on each, on either side of him, sides to welcome him others, he welcome others into his life and into Yiddishkeit. In fact, we know that Abraham and Sarah, quote unquote, made souls. They created souls. They encouraged people. In fact. The model of Avraham's Judaism is a model that we observe today, as opposed to the model of Noah's Judaism, which is isolation, insulation, and distancing from a bad situation. 
relates to the brand of Judaism that is all about distancing, isolation, insulation from the dangers and perils of society. Avraham, on the other hand, pitched his tent with the doors and windows opened on all sides, welcoming in all the strangers and being involved in what we would call today the Kiruv business. It has been said that Moshe Rabbeinu lived as a tikkun, as a repair, as a contradistinction of the mistakes of Noah. When Hashem told Moshe that he was going to destroy the people and start again with Moshe, which parallels exactly what God had told Noah, Moshe went basically apoplectic. He basically told Hashem, he said, if that's what you plan to do, wipe me out of your book. By the way, there is a parsha which does not have Moshe's name in it precisely because Moshe told him, if that's what you plan to do, take me out of your book. And Hashem punished him by removing him from one of the parshas of the Torah. In the parsha of Tetzaveh, Hashem says, you shall, and the you obviously is Moshe, but he's not addressed by name. This is the punishment or the consequence of uh, Moshe's comment. But back to the point, he says to God, please remove me from your book. In other words, count me out. If this is what you plan to do, count me out. About as strong a rebuke to Hashem as you could possibly make. And by the way, it's interesting that the word macheni, which means delete me, remove me from your book, that is the same letters as the words may noach. So we see a complete link over here between Moshe and Noach, but there are many more. We see that whereas Noach was told to build a teva, make for yourself an ark, Moshe is saved in a teva. Noach is saved from the great waters of the flood, and Moshe's name means to be drawn from the, water, from the waters, mashui, which means to extract or draw from the waters. In fact, both Moshe and Noach were really drawn from the waters. Looking at the numbers, Moshe remained with God for 40 days and 40 nights upon uh, on the mount, collecting the Torah. And when the flood was promised to Noach by Hashem, it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. The parish of Noach is filled with an incredible number of messages. I'm going to try to deal with a couple of meta-messages or macro messages, and then I'll get into some specific. The big question, obviously, is why did God choose flood and the ark as a vehicle for destroying the world and rebuilding it? And I, I want to suggest that it may be that the ark is the first rehab center in world history for inculcating spiritual values, because no chesed or loving kindness had been evidenced in the world until Noah and his family went into the ark where they practiced giving without any possibility of getting anything in return. They moved in with their families and their animals, and all that Noah and his wife and their descendants did for the entire period in the ark was to feed and take care of the animals with no possibility of repayment or acknowledgement. When you've done that for an entire uh, voyage, you become an expert in chesed. And so my theory is that the, the ark was a vehicle for Hashem to bring down into the world the midah, the attribute of chesed, which 10 generations later, which, was, which is what it took for chesed to get to a level where it could be spread, and that was the job of Avraham, who became the Baal chesed, the master of acts of loving kindness. 
The second big question as a result of this parsha is what was the Tower of Babel doing directly after the flood? And I think it may be that what the people did was they decided that they were never again going to be wiped out by a flood. And so they built a tower that was so tall that no matter how high, how high the water was, they would be protected and would never again witness uh, or hear about the destruction of the entire world. So I think uh, the Tower of Babel fills a critical role post the flood in that way. Thirdly, what was the nature of the flood? Why couldn't there have been another way to destroy every living creature? And over there, I think we have to look at the comparison with a mikveh. And if the world was indeed as filled with tum'ah, spiritual impurity, as it apparently was, then the earth itself needed to be submerged in a mikveh to purify it. And I think that the waters, which are the waters of the flood, but by the way, which are called May Noach, Noach's waters, which is a strange description, but it comes up many times, including in this week's Haftorah. These waters were the purification waters for the mikveh into which the entire world was, was submerged. We see now this whole idea of 10 is, is, is very important, 10 commandments, 10 statements which brought the world into being, 10 generations until Noah came, 10 generations from Noah to Abraham, and each of these are groups of ideas, groups of people that transformed the world in their own way. And um, one of the other things that it's worth noting is that God made a mistake. He recognized that he had made a mistake and wanted to undo what he had done. And that is, you know, a sacrilegious idea, really, that God would make a mistake, and yet even God makes mistakes and regrets and redoes. And so all of us should not be too proud, too arrogant, too certain of ourselves. One final inspirational thought on this week's parasha. When the boat, the ark, finally landed on Mount Ararat, and um, the time was now to, to get out of the ark, Hashem says to Moshe, Tzeim min ha get out of the ark. And the question is, why? You would think that having been holed up there with the smelly animals and the routine of taking care of everything, that when you finally could get out of there, you would run out of there. Why did he stay there totally locked in, locked in and unable to move? And Hashem told him to move. And that is the problem when we get locked into a routine. Sometimes routines are just a little too comfortable. And even if they're not good for us, we stick with them because they are, by definition, our routine. So momentum and status quo tend to be driving forces. And it's a shame that Hashem had to tell him to get out, that there was the world had been cleansed and he was excused from his duties and ready to commence the next phase of his life. Sorry, that was the penultimate point. Here's the final one. When Elach was getting ready for the boat, the ark to land and the rain had stopped, he sent out a raven first, who left, circled around, and never re-entered the ark. And then he sent out a dove multiple times. And finally, the dove came back with an olive branch in its mouth, which is what is the symbol of peace today. What is the symbolism of the raven and the dove? The raven, first of all, is a trafe animal. Jews can't eat it. It's black. It's uh, commonly called in the United States a crow. It uh, reportedly does not take care of its own young. It eats carcasses. It is a tame animal in the best sense of the word, spiritually impure. 
The dove, on the other hand, is a sacred bird. It is edible by Jews. It is kosher. It is also used for sacrifices in the temple. And uh, it appears multiple times in the Torah and even in our Zmirot. And we know that in Shir Hashirim, King Solomon review, views the, the dove as a symbol of great beauty. And I want to suggest that at the very end of the whole ark story, before Noah released his family to re-begin re the procreation and the human, humanity of reoccupation of the, of the planet, the two symbols that he needed to teach his children and his wife were first of all to say goodbye to Tum'ah. Don't forget this raven was out there. There were, no there were no trees available. The raven was presumably eating carcasses that were floating and other stuff that was completely non-kosher that was floating on the water. So um, he wanted to teach his family that there is Tum'ah, and there is tahara. There is impurity and spiritual purity. The raven was there as a symbol of impurity. It went out. It never came back in. It was fine managing with whatever it could find to scavenge on the floating on the sea. And then the, the dove went out, came back repeatedly to be in the safety and the sacredness and getting fed by Noah. It came back finally when it had found food, found a symbol of regrowth. And I think that was the final lesson that uh, Noah had teach his family and that the Parsha teaches us. Shabbat Shalom to everybody. God bless and talk to you soon.